It comes in that moment to remind you of your, of your shame, of sin, of your insecurities. Now, sometimes that voice is indeed, it's just you. But it might also be the enemy. It might be that the enemy has decided to work through somebody close to you. And so how do we fight this? Well, last week we talked about this reality that if we live in the lies long enough, they actually become truth. They're not real truth. They're not God's truth. They're a false truth. They're a truth that gets a hold of us and that ultimately we begin to live in that lie. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, as I look around, here's the thing. I know that we have people in here that may or may not be Christians. I know many of you are, but I also know we have people here that are exploring faith, wrestling with your faith, even have doubts about faith. And what the enemy wants to do is to make you believe in a subtle lie. And it's one that, quite frankly, has gotten a hold of our culture today. And it's this statement. Well, whatever is your truth, or that's my truth. Now, here's the thing. I don't care about your truth, and I don't care about my truth. I care about the truth. Amen? And what we need to learn is how do we discern the truth from my truth? The truth from culture's truth. The truth from somebody else's truth. Because there is ultimately one truth, and that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't find other truth. Because here's the thing. God is a God of truth. If something is true, it's from the Lord. If something is not, it's from the devil. So how do we recognize these things? Well, the Apostle Paul understood that the enemy knows exactly how to mess with us. He understands that the best way to mess with us is to bring in what he called arguments and opinions and hollow philosophies that end up taking us captive. And these captives, what this does is it holds our thoughts, our imagination, our dreams, and our future. And I look at the world around us and I wonder how many people are living in the wrong story. How many people are not living in the story that God has created them but rather a story that has been lied to and twisted. Paul calls these lies, these false stories, these hollow philosophies, strongholds. Everybody say stronghold. These strongholds are interesting. See, that word language of stronghold is this. Another word it's translated is as fortress. A fortress can be a good thing or a bad thing. Let me explain. When Jesus is your stronghold, your mighty fortress, you have freedom. You are no longer a slave to sin and death. But when the enemy moves you into a stronghold, his fortress becomes a fortified prison. A prison that now takes us captive. If you're able to, our Zion app is down at the moment, so if, you, if you're able to turn to a Bible app, we'll open your Bibles, or open up to Zion's page on Facebook, would you stand with me? And we're going to read again our scripture for today, and it's found in 2 Corinthians 10. If you have your phone, take out your Facebook if you have it or not. And if you don't have it, just listen to it. But if you're able to say it with me, please do. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive 
every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then Psalm 62.6 says this, He only, that's God only, is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. We all have these strongholds in our life. And last week, we kind of started off by talking about is how do we recognize strongholds? How do we recognize the lies that we stepped into? And this week, we're going to look at how do we take our our thoughts captive to the Lord so that instead of living in disobedience, we live in obedience to Christ. Um, How many of you have ever had a string on your shirt that you thought was tiny and then you pulled it and it just kept on coming? You guys know the string I'm talking about? There was a really famous song back in the 90s by a band named Weezer. Anybody know? Can I get any Weezer fans out there? Whoa, whoa, there we go. And then here's the line from this song from Weezer, and it's so good. If you want to destroy my sweater, whoa, 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 all y'all were ready to do that. Hold this thread as I walk away. Watch me unravel, I'll soon be naked, lying on the floor, lying on the floor. I've come undone. Here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy understands that sometimes what holds your identity is such a small thread, and he'll begin to pull at it. And he'll pull, and he'll pull, and he'll pull, until all of a sudden you find that if you don't have an identity rooted in Christ, all of a sudden your identity is stolen. You get caught into a lie Who you are is undone. And here's why he does that. Satan is smart. He knows the strings to pull in your life because he's looking to destroy you. That's ultimately the devil's plan. He is the enemy of God, his people, his creation. And as we look at our world around, all the violence that we've seen, the wars, the atrocities, the hard things that are happening in the world, these aren't by accident. These don't just randomly happen. They started with a line. And that line moved into the visible world, into the physical world. Now, here's what Jesus shares. And we talked about this last week in John 10.10. He's talking about that he's the good shepherd. Now, you have to realize he's fighting against the lies, not of the Roman government, not of people who don't know Jesus, not of atheists, not of other religions. You know who the biggest obstacles to Jesus' ministry were? God's people. God's people that the enemy got a hold of and they became false teachers. They started twisting and perverting what was good. John 10.10, Jesus says this, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The thieves he's talking about, yes, ultimately the devil is a thief, but you want to know who the primary thief was that he was using? It was the religious people. The people who the devil got a hold of and they ended up being twisted in such a way that they could no longer discern God's truth, God's realities. These were the Pharisees, but they didn't start out this way. So how do we make sure that we don't become pawns? How do we make sure that we aren't buying into the lies? Well, Jesus gives us Three very quick answers. This is how we know our ultimate lie, the ultimate enemy. Does it steal, kill, or destroy? Let me explain this and why this is one of the hardest things to do in this. 
See, sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to help us make sure that we're looking through the right lens and that right lens is Christ. But the problem is usually we're thinking about ourselves first and that's how, how Satan first gets a hold of you. He makes you the center of everything. And so now all of a sudden we start asking this, does it rob or steal and joy from my freedom? Does it kill my fun and happiness? Does it destroy my wants and desires? But when Christ is at the center, it reveals the problem. You see, the number one person in the middle of that is you. It's me. What we need to be asking is this. This is where the real question comes in. Does it seek to kill, steal, or destroy God's glory? God's mission? God's kingdom? God's people? God's creation? And then the second question becomes this. Then does it seek to steal, kill, or destroy my purpose? my identity, my worth in Christ? Does it seek to steal, kill, and destroy other people's purpose, identity, and worth? If we want to defeat the strongholds of the enemies, we must realize what the lies are. And the lies of the devil get a hold of us. And some of the things they talk about is they affect, when that lie gets into your head, it affects your beliefs and behaviors leading to sin. And that sin begins to control your life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, not because it's controlling yours, but maybe you have somebody you love who is deeply entrenched, deeply, deeply in bondage because they believed a lie. These lies affect our worth, our identity, and our relationships. They lead us to sin. Now, here's the crazy part. Are you guys ready for this? Here's the craziest part of the whole thing. Some of these lies didn't actually start with you. They didn't actually, they weren't lies you believed. Rather, they were lies that your parents or your grandparents or even your great-great-grandparents believed. And the Bible refers to these as generational sins. Some of you may have heard the term generational curse, and, and that has a different implication. Uh, Zig Ziglar, if you've heard of him, it was a big leadership guru, talks about how do we recognize generational sin Generational, these, these things get passed down, and here's the story he tells. A newlywed bride was preparing dinner one Sunday evening. Her attentive groom, remember they're newlyweds, looks as she cuts off the end of a ham before baking it. The husband then turns to her and says, hey, why did you cut the end off of the ham? And the wife responds, well, my mother always cut off the end of the ham, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And so the, the new husband, not accepting that answer, that's how it's supposed to be, went to the mother and said, hey, mother-in-law, how come you cut off the ham, the ends of the ham, when before you bake it? And the mother says, well, I didn't. I learned it from my mom. Now he then goes, okay, so I'm going to go to my grandmother-in-law and goes to the grandmother-in-law and says, hey, grandma-in-law, why did you cut off the ends of the ham? Now listen to what her response was. He's curious, and this is all she says. I had a small oven, and that was the only way we could fit it in the pan. I mean, isn't that, think about it. You begin to believe something is how it should be because someone before you taught it to you. And then someone before them, and you may not know where it came from, but you just accepted as gospel truth that this is exactly how it's supposed to be. Now, this was just talking about cooking. What happens when they're lies? What happens when their behaviors and attitudes and belief systems? 
Now all of a sudden it becomes a lot more than just how we cook ham, doesn't it? We begin to see the impact of these generational sins, these generational lies, when they begin to affect us. And it's not just that they're passed down. Here's what we're learning. Science is actually revealing that what the Bible's been saying for 4,000 years, science is just catching up on. Science is revealing that, in fact, our genes actually do pass down traumas and behaviors and sins, and that if they're not dealt with, they get passed down to our kids at a cellular level. It's called epigenetics. For you science-minded people out there, you're like, wow, that's cool. And what it means is this, is that we all have no problem. We all know that alcoholism can be passed down, don't we? We all know that drug addiction can be passed down. We know that something happens in those that it affects the way a person's genes express themselves so that you'll have a tendency. If you come from an alcoholic family, you probably shouldn't have a drink. But now what they're realizing, it's not just those things. Things like lying, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, struggles with sexual sins. These things now don't just go down from a belief perspective. Some of these actually affect at a cellular level. And the Bible talks about this, that this is what we see sin doing, is that sin gets passed down. But for us in Christ, we no longer have to worry about it. Now, let me explain the difference between a curse and a consequence. See, generational curses make it sound like that you're going to be held accountable for something that you didn't do. That if your parents struggle with these things now, you have to live with the accountability of that, that you're going to be found guilty of that. But that's not what the Bible says. In Ezekiel 18, 20, it says this, the one who sins is the one who should die. The child will not share the guilt of the parents, nor will the parents share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Here's what that means. You're not going to be held before the Lord for your parents' sins but you will experience the consequences of those sins. The strongholds that get passed down to you, the Lord holds you accountable for what you do, not what they did, but we all feel the impact of what they did, don't we? When we look at the world around us and the things that are going on, it's no kidding that we see consequences. Now there is the curse of sin. The curse of sin is passed down to all humanity when our first parents Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. Everything fell. All humanity fell. All creation fell. And this is what the curse of sin, not the curse of somebody else's sin, but the, the curse of all sin, what all of us have to deal with. All of us now, according to Genesis 3, we have a common enemy. That's the devil. We know that according to Genesis 3, because of sin, there will be conflicts in marriage. If you have conflict in your marriage, Welcome to the family. We all do. Even the best marriages have conflict. Work will be harder. Instead of fighting to thrive, we fight to survive. These are all parts of sin. And then the last consequence of sin, the last curse of sin is death. All of us will die because of our sin, because we live in a fallen and broken world. But here's the thing. You're not held accountable for Adam and Eve's sin. No more than you're held accountable for your parents or great-grandparents' sin. But you do experience the consequence of that sin. And you now have choices, and those choices may lead you to actually living and believing lies that are now leading to you sinning. 
because you bought into a lie, a stronghold. Instead of generational curses, what we need to think about is that we have to see the impact of sin as an atomic fallout. Dan Kimball wrote a book recently called How Not to Read the Bible. And one of the sublines is this, does reading the Bible make us atheists? How many of you have ever read the Bible and went, that's kind of icky. There's some weird stuff in the Bible. Anybody here? We've all had that where if you're honest, you've read parts of scripture and you're like, I don't know what to deal with that. I don't know how to handle. How do I handle war and genocide in the Bible? How do I handle all the sins and the brokenness that we see? Well, here's the way Dan Kimball talks about sin. And I really appreciate this. He says it this way, is that when we look at sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was like a nuclear bomb went off in creation. They experienced the immediate fallout from that nuclear explosion. But what happens with an atomic blast or nuclear blast? After the blast is done, you have fallout. And that fallout is experienced for generations and generations. Well, because of sin, not the sin you did or the sin I did, but because of Adam and Eve's first sin, because of the sin of other people, we now have the fallout of sin that works in our world around us. And the Bible helps us understand that. When we live in this, our goal is that instead of living in that destructive path, we now have a way out. We have a way to cleanse us from our sin, even a way to deal with the generational lies and consequences. Jesus. Jesus actually offers healing upon these generational consequences, these strongholds that we believe. Now, what does this mean for us? How do we live in this? When we think about generational consequences, I want you to just take a moment. I want you to take a moment and reflect on your own families. What are some of the lies that have been passed down to you? And maybe they were innocent. They didn't, they didn't come from a bad place. Sometimes it's that passive aggressiveness that your parents were passive aggressive and now you feel the need to be passive aggressive. But what about the more insidious lies? Some of you here today, you've been struggling with lust because you've had generational lust in your family. You've had generational affairs, divorces. We know statistically that a lot of people get divorced and you know what the likelihood that if your parents were divorced that you'll get a divorce? Well, they go up exponentially. What if these are not just choices, but strongholds? What if they're lies that are now taken root in you and you have the opportunity to break those lies in the power in the name of Jesus? Wouldn't you want that? That's just not even just talking about those. What about generational fatherlessness, poverty, dishonesty, generational bitterness and rage, resentment? Even on top of that, the, what we now discovered is that trauma, trauma that happened to you, if you don't deal with it, can be passed to your children. We know that the effects of trauma can go in and lead into things like anxiety, depression, and worry. Even unbelief, rejection, and rebellion against God. Some of you had a family member who rejected Christ, and the lie of that got passed down, and now maybe you are trying to break that stronghold. I don't know about you, but I want to see strongholds broken in my life. How many of you want that? So how do we do that? 
How do we break these generational strongholds? How do we get past them? I want to read a Psychology Today article that was written not too long ago, and it's actually referring to this genetic stronghold that takes place. We don't just inherit our skin tone, the color of our eyes, or the broadness of our shoulders from our parents. We can also inherit our family's story, narrative, and views about life. There's a part of them that continues to live on within us, whether we are aware of this or not. While it is a noble thing to carry on our family's legacy, there can also be unresolved conflict and baggage to sort through and clean up. As I read that, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It then says this families with the history of unresolved trauma, depression, anxiety, and addiction may continue to pass maladaptive coping strategies. These are things, in other words, that we do in order to cope that aren't healthy. And just distrustful views of life onto future generations. In this way, one can repeat the same patterns and attitudes of former generations, regardless of whether or not they are healthy or you're even aware. How do we fight against this? Well, this is where Paul talks about taking our thoughts captive. When we take our thoughts captive, we're holding on to the promise that the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians when he says this, In Jesus... In the power of the gospel, it's not just to gloss over, not just to minimize, not even to soften these strongholds, but to demolish them, to utterly destroy the strongholds. Now, this includes the lies that have been passed down to us that lead to false belief and sinful behaviors. These are the lies that we've held on to. Now, we have our own traumas that didn't come from other people. We have our own strongholds that we believe that weren't passed down but we can deal with them all in the person of Jesus Christ. God has given us the ability to wage war against these lies, whether because we bought into them ourselves or they were passed down to us. And it comes through a couple of things. The first is Jesus Christ. You can do all the self-help you want. You can do all the therapy you want. But unless you first come to Christ, you will not deal with the spiritual side of those strongholds. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you. You need God's word to strengthen you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do counseling. Think of it this way. Uh, several years ago, I tore my ACL, right? I could not fix my ACL on my own. It's not like I could just think about it or rehab it back into existence. It was torn. I had to have surgery to repair it. In Jesus, we have a, re a repairing of our relationship with God. What was torn between us and God is repaired through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Amen? But here's the thing. Even though my ACL was repaired, I still had to do rehab. I still had to go and get on the treadmill and strengthen that need. When you confess your sins, when you... Turn and, and allow Jesus to heal those generational consequences, those generational strongholds. He can heal them, but you still have work to do on top of that. That's where things like therapy and community come in. It's not an excuse not to do it. It's realizing that just because Jesus has healed that part doesn't mean it's strong yet. It means that there's still work to be done. When we begin to do this work, we see that God moves. So how do we take our thoughts captive? How do we access these weapons? How do we fight 
this battle the right way, whether or not you are a Christian or not, whether you're all in or not, whether or not you even believe it yet, I want you to hear this. It is possible to begin the healing. It is possible to break the strongholds. Now, I want to take one moment. I want you to just take 10 seconds. Is there a stronghold in your life that comes to mind? Is there a lie that has been controlling you, has been a narrative in your life that is leading you to make choices that you know are not right, healthy, or holy? I want you to picture that stronghold. Picture it. Maybe you, maybe you lived in that today. Maybe it's a stronghold of divorce or an affair or a pornography. Maybe it's a stronghold having to deal with anger or bitterness. Racism. Hatred. I want you to picture that stronghold. Now here's what we're going to do. The best way that we capture our thoughts starts off by exposing the lie. Have you ever run into a house that has cockroaches? What happens when you turn on the lights in the kitchen and there's cockroaches? What do they all do? They all run and hide, don't they? Cockroaches don't like to be exposed. The enemy knows this, is that as long as he keeps that stronghold in the dark, you won't deal with it. You'll live under its power, you'll live under its influence, but you won't acknowledge it. But the minute you acknowledge and name that stronghold, you bring it into the light. How many of you, by a show of hands, know what that stronghold is in your life? If you haven't, raise your hand. You don't, have, don't say it out loud. If you know that stronghold... First thing we're going to do is we're going to bring it to the Lord and we're going to expose it for what it is. 1 John 1 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all Sin. That includes consequences of sin that were passed down to us. Now here's the most important thing. Once you recognize these lies, you can't keep them internal. You must speak out loud what that lie is. And here's why. I was meeting with somebody this week, and we were talking about some generational lies. And I said, well, you, you got to say that out loud. And he said, why? And I said, because the devil doesn't know your thoughts. The devil is not God. He's not equal to God. The devil doesn't know what you're thinking. So in his mind, until you acknowledge it, he is absolutely convinced that he's got you. But the minute you expose that lie verbally, the devil, it's a warning to the devil that he's in trouble, that that lie is in trouble. We must speak out loud when the devil is moving. And when we do this, we begin to see this is exactly why when Jesus was getting ready for the cross, and Peter, his best friend, goes to him and says, Jesus, I'll never let anything happen to you. How many of you guys know the story I'm talking about? Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter had no clue that he was being used by the devil to try and get in the way of Jesus' mission. Jesus spoke it out loud to acknowledge, to put on warning that the devil's schemes were being made aware. We need to acknowledge those schemes, those strongholds, 
We need to stop doing that. Now, here's the next part. We need to stop making excuses for strongholds. We need to stop excusing them. The strongholds, even the ones that are the result of your own choosing, some of the strongholds in your life are there because you made a bad decision. You believed a lie. Don't make an excuse for it. Acknowledge it. There's a difference between a reason and an excuse. If you've ever been in a fight with your spouse, Lisa says something to me and I respond unkind. There's no excuse for what I did, but the reason why I responded unkind is she said something unkind to me or I perceived it. Doesn't make it right by but acknowledging that it happened. When we acknowledge, we stop making excuses for our strongholds. That's the first step. But here's the second part. You can also acknowledge the strongholds that are there because of the abusive lies spoken over you or done to you. It's not uncommon for people who've experienced trauma in their life to deal with strongholds around sexuality, physicalness, psychologically, or even spirituality. These were sins that may not have been committed by you, but against you, but they still affect you. How about those generational strongholds that we've talked about that were passed down through family line? If you read the Old Testament, here's what you see over and over with God's people. One generation forgets the Lord and they begin to worship idols and they pass down their idols. Our idols are passed down to our children, which is why we must kill them now. Not our children, our idols. <laughs> Let's clarify that. <laughs> we must destroy idolatry now. We must destroy the strongholds now so they don't get passed down to our children. We need to expose them for what they are. And then lastly, we also have those strongholds that are part of our culture and our society. In America, keeping up with the Joneses is one of those lies that has been passed down to us that now we all bear the weight of that. The rest of 1 John, he says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we own our part in the sin, when we stop making excuses, we now are allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to do a new work in us to defeat those lies and those strongholds. It breaks God's heart and absolutely thrills the devil when Christians say things like this. You don't understand, Jason. I'm, un I'm unhappy in my marriage, so I had to have an affair. I've had that. I've had people say that to me. Well, it's not my fault I had an affair. My marriage was going rough, and I didn't have a choice. Yes, you did. Well, Jason, you don't understand. I come from an alcoholic family, uh, and that's why I'm an alcoholic. That's an excuse. I'm not saying there's not a reason, but get rid of the excuse. When we move into this, we begin to see that God wants to free us. Last week, I shared nine core lies that we believe. For those of you who maybe caught it, it's from a thing called the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality profile system that helps us better understand ourselves. Here's the thing about all personality profile systems. Sometimes we use them as excuses. Well, that's just, you know what, I, I'm just a really intense person. That's just how my personality is. That's an excuse. What if your personality is actually getting in the way of what God has for you? What if you allowed something else other than Jesus to define you? Lastly, it's this. We must learn to confess and repent. I want to turn real quickly to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born after the Babylonian uh, captivity. Let me kind of give you a brief history here. 
So the Israelites wandered from the Lord over and over again. God sends prophets and says, listen, if you don't turn back, God's going to deliver you to your enemies to bring you back to him. The prophet Jeremiah goes to Judah and says, listen, you need to repent from your sin and idolatry. You need to turn back to God. Otherwise, he's going to send a nation to, to take you captive. The Israelites laugh at Jeremiah to say, no, we don't believe you. We don't want any of that. And then God sends the Babylonians. The Babylonians then take Israel captive. They destroy the temple. They destroy the city of Israel, Jerusalem, and they bring them all into Babylon. It's called the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonians was a group called the Persians. The Persians overthrow the Babylonians. Nehemiah is born under the Persian Empire. Now, here's the thing. He's not free. He's still a slave in Persia. Did he, did he do anything to get them there? No, he was born into it. Nehemiah ends up becoming the cupbearer of the king. I love this story. Check this out. Persia was better than Babylon and how they dealt with things. The Babylonians were really harsh. The Persians were like, hey, if you want to worship your God, that's great, but you still need to pay taxes. You need to, you're still going to serve us. Nehemiah has this high position in the, in the king of Persia's court. And he comes and he hears a story that his holy city, Jerusalem, is in disrepair. That the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, that the temple is destroyed, and Nehemiah is grieved by this. Nehemiah, listen to what he does. Nehemiah then confesses. He confesses before the Lord. But I want you to hear his prayer. Nehemiah 1. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Listen to this next part. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah confessed not just his sins, but the strongholds of his father and his father's father. Did you know that you can confess the sins of those strongholds that were passed down to you to begin that course of freedom. You can confess. But it's more than just confessing. Confessing does no good without repentance. I'm going to have a couple of volunteers come up with me real quickly. I'm going to end on this. Can I get the worship team to come on back up? I'm going to ask my volunteers to come here. I'm going to show you a little demonstration as we're getting ready to end here. Get the worship team. See, here's the thing. When we confess, we expose the sin... We expose the lie of the enemy. We acknowledge that there is something that we've bought into a stronghold. Once we begin to do that, we now see it. We get to confess it. Confession is the part that allows us to move to the next part. But we need to do more than confess. We must repent. Repentance means not to just acknowledge. It means to turn away from. All right, so I got my three friends here. Come here. Hannah's going to be Satan. Everybody say hi, Satan. Hi, Hannah. Okay, <laughs> Jeff, come here. You're going to be a belt, Darren. Over here. Holy Spirit. Where's my Holy Spirit? Oh, you're the Holy Spirit. Sorry. Darren, you're in the middle. 
Imagine Jesus is over here. This is freedom. This is freedom. Now, here's the thing. Darren, Darren's trying to walk towards freedom, but here's the thing. Satan's going to get in his way. Instead, turn your back. See, Darren starts off here. He's walking away from Christ. Walk for Christ. The Holy, the hand on, no, this way. This way, push him. There we go. Push him. Satan is pushing him away, but is he really pushing or is she helping as the enemy? She's helping. The Holy Spirit is trying to get in the way, but here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Now, when I call Darren, Darren, come to me. Come to me. Now, as he starts walking, what's the enemy do? The enemy wants to become a distraction, a hindrance. Holy Spirit, encourage. This is where the Holy Spirit begins to push him, push him towards me. Who's going to win this battle right now? Stop for a second. Here we go. Here's why, stay right there. Here's why this matters. Some of you are right here. You are turned away from God, and when you're turned away from the God, and the enemy doesn't have to do much to keep you in that position. You're already away from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is telling you to turn back, to turn towards the Lord. But here's what happens. The minute Darren makes the choice to follow Jesus, to find Jesus, the enemy now wants to get in the way of that. Some of you are experiencing these stumbling blocks, these obstacles, because you're heading in the right direction. Because you're actually walking towards strongholds, you're walking away from those strongholds, and you have the Holy Spirit as a source of power to strengthen, to encourage you. But what happens if Darren goes, oh, this is too much, and he turns back? See, here's the problem with all strongholds. Once something is a stronghold in your life, once it's easy to become a stronghold again. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. And here's the part for us. Notice the size difference between Satan and the Holy Spirit. We give way too much power to the enemy, don't we? You have a spirit in you. You have the spirit of Christ in you to empower you. But you have to let the Holy Spirit do that work. You have to confess. When you confess, you're acknowledging this lie from the devil. You're acknowledging this stronghold that's getting in your way. And of course it's going to be difficult, but when you're turning towards Jesus, push, push, you push. See, ultimately, yes, it's going to be a struggle. This is our struggle, but it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities, against the blood. Thank you, guys. Can we give him a round of applause? Does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying here? What people want, what Christians want, is we think, oh, well, Jason, I gave my life to Jesus. Now everything should be smooth sailing. If it's smooth sailing, it means you don't have an enemy. That enemy is still there. That enemy wants to capture your thoughts. That enemy wants to get in the way. And here's what most of us do. We believed one of the core lies that if we follow Jesus, life gets easier. No, it doesn't. But it does become abundant. It does become more powerful. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. It happens through God's word. It happens through the person of Jesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to take our offering here in a minute. But here's the question I have for you. I asked you to think about that stronghold right now. I asked you to think about that stronghold. If you have that stronghold, you don't have to say it super loud. You can even just whisper under your breath. I want you to acknowledge what that stronghold is. You don't have to say it loud for anybody to hear it. Acknowledge that stronghold. The minute you do that, you're confessing, you're acknowledging it. This morning is your opportunity to surrender that stronghold to the God who breaks strongholds. Amen? We must turn to Christ 
We must confess Christ. We must, we must live in Christ. But above all, it all starts with one thing. Christ. It's not by your works. It's not by your might. Not by your power. It's by what Jesus does and has done for you. Can I get an amen? All right, let's come and worship as we come to worship.